Good afternoon. It's a joy to be here today. Uh, we have many, many visitors with us. We have a, a few of our own families who are away, but it was more than made up by, by visitors, and so we're very thankful to have you here, very encouraged by your presence. I invite you to open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 4, if they're not already open there. As always, we want the focus in, in any of our, our studies, our, our lessons, to be on God's Word. That's where the power is, uh, and that's where we, we want our focus to be. Ephesians chapter 4 is a chapter really on unity, unity of God's people. In the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters talk to us about the, the riches of Christ. And starting in chapter 4, we kind of transition to talking about the responsibilities uh, of living in Christ. Uh, and he talks at the beginning of chapter 4 about walking worthy of our calling. He's described that calling throughout the first three chapters. Now he's talking about how that needs to show itself in our life. How do we need to respond to that? And the very first way that we need to, to walk is to walk in unity. You have throughout the beginning of chapter 4 the seven ones, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, one body, one spirit in verse 4. You have this focus on unity, and then as we get to the second half of chapter 4, you really have the individual characteristics that should describe Christians living in that unity. You have a description of walking in newness of life, walking in love. And today, looking at chapter 4 here, I want us to consider some of the concepts, some of the characteristics of Christians described in this chapter as it specifically applies to what I think might be one of the biggest unity killers in the Lord's Church. And that is the topic of gossip. The Bible talks a lot about gossip, but it uses many different words to describe it. Sometimes it talks about slander, tail-bearing, whispering, backbiting. In the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 16, 28, says, A perverse man spreads strife, and a slanderer separates intimate friends. Proverbs 26, verse 20, For lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. Proverbs 20, verse 19, He who goes about as a slanderer reveals secrets, therefore do not associate with a gossip. And so the Bible has a lot to say about this. And what I want us to consider today is looking at the positive characteristics that should describe Christians here from Ephesians chapter 4 that should describe the type of unity we have with one another and see how that applies to our speech, especially with the struggle of gossip. Gossip will ruin relationships. It will cause hurt feelings and discouragement and promote ill will and strife. It will tear apart the body of Christ and tear down everything that we as a church work to accomplish in our service to the Lord. I, I'm convinced that gossip is one of the primary unity killers that we struggle with, and so I think it's something that we need to be very serious about. And the problem of, of gossip is primarily a problem of self-examination. Because I think very few people intentionally engage in gossip and intentionally tear down other people. I think many times, at least for those who are, who are seeking to serve the Lord, uh, gossip is a problem of something that I don't maybe really realize I'm doing. It's a problem of self-examination. Because when somebody else says something about me, well, then that's gossip. But if I say that about somebody else, well, it's, it's just innocent conversation. 
And so what I want to challenge each of us to do and, and challenge myself to do is to, to guard our lips and, and ask some questions based on these characteristics described in Ephesians chapter 4 that, that should filter what kind of things we, we say about other people. I want to provide four questions from Ephesians 4 that we need to ask before we speak about others. And I, and I want to emphasize this lesson is just as much for me as for anyone else. As, as I've studied through this, uh, I, I find myself l- looking at the man in the mirror and recognizing that I, I'm not living up to many of these standards. Uh, and I, I hope that as I, I share that same mirror with you, uh, maybe it will be helpful to you as, as it is uh, hopefully to me. As we look here in Ephesians chapter 4, the characteristics that should describe Christians, that should describe us as we seek to work together in the body unified, uh, the first thing that I want us to see in verse 25 is the question, is it true? Truth is indispensable to the well-being of Christ's body. You notice as uh, Paul talks about this, this new creation that we should be in Christ, the very first characteristics he talks about in verse 25 is speaking truth. He says, therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We need to get rid of falsehood, lay aside lying. Uh, the, the word translated falsehood here is the Greek word pseudos. Uh, you might recognize that the prefix pseudo, uh, you know, a, a pseudoscience or a pseudonym is something that looks like it uh, is real, that, that looks like it is legitimate, but really it's not. I think sometimes when we think about getting rid of lying, we, we think, well, you know, I don't tell outright lies. Well, do I tell pseudo lies? Getting rid of a falsehood is more than just not telling intentional falsehoods. It's really making sure that everything that I say is nothing less than the truth. Any slight twisting of the facts or trying to pass off my assumptions and perceptions as the truth. Anything that's not genuine, uh, that is counterfeit, that looks like the truth but may not exactly be the truth. We as Christians need to be very serious about getting that out of our lives. And in fact, as you look through Ephesians chapter 4, this chapter on unity, on God's people working together, notice how often truth shows up. Look back in in chapter 4 and verse 14. Verse 14 and 15 we read, As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is head, even Christ. Now many times when I look at this passage, my mind immediately goes to speaking the truth in love to others. Uh, As I uh, evangelize, as I preach the gospel, I'm speaking the truth in love. But in context, maybe the more primary application of this, not that it doesn't apply to that, but is our speaking to one another. We are speaking the truth in love to one another to help this body grow. And you see how truth continues to be focused on. Uh, If you look up in verse 20, it says, But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth 
is in Jesus. Then in reference to your formal manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in the uh, accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. How often do you see truth there? This new man that we are created in is no longer part of the, the lust of deceit, of falsehood, but is of truth. Rather than truth needs to characterize who we are as God's people. And we're not just talking about doctrinal truth here. As important as it is, uh, we are talking about truth in general, in every conversation, in every word, that we are people who speak the truth. Because God is truth. And God hates falsehood. Do you remember in Proverbs chapter 6, there's a list of the things that God hates. And if you look in verse 16 beginning, we read, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Now the six, six yet even seven is, is a literary device used throughout many uh, poetic books and prophecy. But, but notice this list here. It says, Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. You know why there are seven things and not six in this passage? Because he says lying twice. What does God hate? God is truth and God hates lying. He hates anything less than the truth. And so, if we are going to be God's people, we need to get serious about making sure that what comes out of my mouth is nothing less than the truth. And again, many times as Christians who are striving to serve the Lord, we know we're not supposed to tell an outright lie. But many times we pass off our assumptions, our perceptions, what we think about what's going on as the truth. We need to be careful about that. We need to make sure that anything that I say, I know it to be the truth. I'm not spreading something that, that may or may not be true. Remember in John 8, Satan is called the father of lies. We don't want to have anything to do with that. We want to be a reflection of the image of our father, the Lord. And so we need to treasure truth in our hearts and in our speech. And as with all problems as with all sin, this really does start in the heart. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, we have a list of the things that we as Christians should be thinking on, should be meditating on. Do you know what tops the list? Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, but whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell or think on these things. I need to make sure that I am filling my mind with things that are true and that those are the things that are coming out of my mouth. Now, the way that rumors often start is that I make some assumption, some, some half-truth that takes root in my mind and I dwell on it and I think on it and I convince myself that it is in fact the truth and then I share it with somebody else. And it plants a seed in their heart and in their mind, and it 
takes root and it grows and it spreads and it passes on to somebody else and it transforms into something entirely different than what the truth was to begin with. I need to make sure that I'm not taking part in that process. That I'm not letting my own perceptions and assumptions get the best of me and, and be spread to other people and start into something that could do great damage to other people and to the Lord's church. Have you ever played the, the game Telephone? Where you have a message and you whisper it to somebody and they whisper it to somebody else and they whisper it to somebody else? You know, if, if we did that today, and if, if we started with, with John over here, and John's message was, Jason likes his steak rare. I, I don't know if that is true or not true, uh, but let's say it is. Well, we, we may pass that along, and you whisper it and whisper it, and then by the time we get over here, we hear, Jason likes to drink beer. <laughs> well, how, how did that happen? We, that's not what we started with, and that is not true. I, I guarantee it's not true. But what happens is somewhere along the way, somebody doesn't quite hear exactly what was said, and they kind of fill in the blanks, and they think they understand maybe what was said, and they pass it on, and all of a sudden it starts transforming, and it's something entirely different than what was said in the first place. Does that happen in our conversations with other people? Yeah, not, not just a mishearing of, of words, but we... we we start thinking that we understand the situation and we share our perception of it and then somebody else takes that to be the truth and they share it and then that morphs into something else. As Christians, we need to be serious about speaking the truth. And if something, if I don't know something to be, maybe it is, maybe it is the truth, maybe it's not. If I'm not sure, I need to be very cautious about spreading that then to somebody else. And so if we want to get rid of gossip, if we want to get rid of this unity killer, the, the type of character that describes God's people working together in unity in Ephesians chapter 4, first of all, we need to speak the truth. We need to be serious about speaking the truth. Is it the truth? But if we continue to look at the character described here in Ephesians 4, the, the second question that I want us to ask is, is it considerate? Because just because something is true doesn't necessarily mean that it is a good thing for me then to go on and, and talk about to other people. Considerate is defined by Webster as being mindful of the needs and feelings of others, marked by careful thought. And, and this, being considerate, is really at the core of everything that we're talking about here. Because many times the problem is not a problem of knowledge. is not a problem of knowing what to say and what not to say. Sometimes the, the problem is that I haven't taken the time to think about whether or not I should be saying this. And so we need to make sure that we think before we speak. Consider how what we say may impact other people because gossip often occurs when I'm angry when I'm upset, when I'm frustrated, and I feel like I need to, to vent my feelings to somebody else. And so I don't take time to think about whether or not my words are, are going to be hurtful to those involved. I let my emotions get the better of me, and I, I go ahead and let them take the lead. Well, notice what we see here in Ephesians chapter 4, and verse 26 and 27. Here we read, Be angry 
and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Here, when we let our emotions take control, our anger, our frustration, our uh, upset feelings, our hurt feelings, it'll often take us places that, that we have no business going. We need to make sure that we don't let our emotions escape our lips unchecked. Here he says, do not give the devil an opportunity. You know, it's not that being angry, being frustrated, being upset within itself is wrong. We all have emotions that we have to deal with, that God created us with. But we need to make sure that we are not letting those emotions take the lead. That we're not letting them take control. And we're not letting Satan use those emotions as an opportunity to get us to say things and do things that are going to be hurtful to other people, to God's church. But that we are taking the time to think before we speak. James chapter 1 and verse 19 tells us, Everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Notice he says, Everyone, every man. You know, it's, it's not that this should describe some people. This should describe all of us. And I think sometimes we, we get this idea, well, you know, we, we have different personalities. And, you know, some, some people, they just like to talk a lot. And some people, they're more quiet. And some people, they, they just have a short temper. And some people, well, certainly. We, we all have weaknesses and strengths. We all have differences in our personality. But brethren, my personality is not an excuse to not have the character that God has told me to have. Everyone, every single one of us, need to be described by James 1 and verse 19. We each need to be people who are quick to hear. We need to make sure, as we said with, with talk, speaking the truth, that we have all the facts before we start talking about it. We need to be slow to speak. And slow to get angry. And, and those things often go together. You notice how he puts our emotions and our mouths together in this passage. Because many times we are quick to speak because of our feelings. Because we let our, our hurts, the, the way that we feel, take the lead in our mouths as well. James 1 verse 26 later on he says if anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart this man's religion is worthless. Do you think that's serious? He says your religion is worthless if we don't bridle our tongues. What's the picture there? I have the reins of my tongue firmly in my hands and I'm pulling it back to make sure that it's not saying anything that it's not supposed to be. That needs to describe us as Christians. That we are taking the time to consider what it is that's coming out of our mouth. That we're taking the time to get our emotions in check and make sure that they're not coming out of my mouth unfiltered by what God would have me say. Failure to consider others, to consider the consequences of my words, will do great damage. Proverbs talks a lot about this. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, When there are many words... Transgression is unavoidable, but he who restrains his lip is wise. This transgression is unavoidable. 
Now, I, I, I thought in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 13, it says that no temptation is overtaking you, but such as common man and God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with each temptation will make a way of escape available to you. It's not unavoidable, right? But here he says we can put ourselves in a situation in which we've closed the escape door. We, we can allow our mouth to go speaking unchecked to the point that we, we put ourselves in a situation where transgression is now unavoidable. You know what the, what the escape is? To bridle our lips. That's the escape that God has given us. And so we need to be the type of people who are taking the time to think about what we say. To pull back our emotions, pull back our tongues. In Proverbs 12 and verse 18, it says, There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Do we want our words to bring healing? Or do we want them to be like the thrusts of swords? Do our words hurt or heal? Well, a lot of that is going to be determined by the amount of time I spend thinking about those words. It's the rash word, the one that, that goes out quickly without thinking, without bridling, that does the damage. And so I need to ask the question, is it true? Is it considerate? Have I thought about this? Have I taken the time to think about the implications of these words? Well, when I do think about those words, what's going to determine whether or not I decide to say them or not? I've taken the time now. What's my criteria? Well, is it true? We already talked about that. But another thing that we need to ask is, is it edifying? Hebrews 10, verse 24, we're told, and let us consider how to simulate one another to love and good deeds. In the context there, in verse 25 of the assembly. But one of the things that we need as Christians to be constantly considering in our relationships with one another, especially uh, within the church, is how we can stir up and encourage and build up other people. And we see that here in Ephesians 4 as well. If you read with me in Ephesians 4 and verse 29, we read, Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Is it good for edification? The word edification means to build up. Are my words going to build up or are they going to tear down? Are my words going to encourage or are they going to discourage? Are they going to help or are they going to hurt? As Christians, our, our goal is not simply to avoid saying things that are going to hurt people. Really, our goal is to pursue saying things that are going to build people up. You've heard it said, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Well, there's some validity to that. But I think maybe the better thing for Christians is to say, if you don't have anything nice to say, find something nice to say. We, we as Christians need to pursue saying those things that are going to build up and encourage other people. And so here in verse 29, he talks about speaking those things according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. What, what is grace? Grace is, is favor. It's a gift. He's saying our, our words need to be a gift to the people that hear them. How, how do you go out and pick out a gift? Uh, Aaron and I's anniversary is coming up 
here in just a few days. You know, if, if I was going to go out and buy a gift for Aaron for our anniversary, how should I do that? Should, should I run in the store and look around? The first thing that I find on the shelf, you know, oh, here's, you know, uh, some dog biscuits. She'll like that. No. Obviously, if I want to give a gift to Aaron that's meaningful, I'm going to go into that store or go online or whatever it is. I'm going to think, what, what is it that Aaron would like? What is it that she would appreciate? What is it that, that she would find useful? That's what I want to pick out. That's what we need to do with our words. Our words need to be a gift to the people that we bring them to. What's going what's to encourage them? What's going to help them? What's going to build them up? I need to consider how I can stir up others to love and good works. And that is what, more than anything, needs to guide what comes out of my mouth. Now let me state a caveat here. That doesn't mean that everything that I say is going to be positive. There are times that to genuinely help somebody spiritually, I'm going to need to speak reproof, rebuke, correction. 2 Timothy 3.16, God's word is useful not just for encouraging, but for correcting. There are going to be some times that I might have to say some difficult things things. But I need to ask the question, is the goal building up or tearing down? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, and deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It's not that every word that I say is, is going to be a, a kiss to those who hear. Now, sometimes it's going to wound, sometimes it's going to hurt. But if my words hurt, I need to make sure it's because that's genuinely what's going to be best for the spiritual well-being of that person. That needs to be what is guiding me. And so we, we see this concept of, of building up and not tearing down. In 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 10, Paul says, For this reason I am writing these things while absent, so that when present I need not use severity in accordance with the authority which the Lord gave me for building up and not for tearing down. Now, you look at the books of First and Second Corinthians. Is everything that Paul said to the church at Corinth positive? Well, no, he has a lot of very hard things to say, a lot of rebuke to say, but why did he say that? To build them up, to help them grow, to help them be who God wanted them to be. And so that needs to be my standard. As I'm thinking about the words coming out of my mouth, uh, is this going to, to build up or tear down? You know, it is appropriate to discuss the spiritual condition of a weak or backsliding brother uh, in an effort to help him. It's, it's not that if, if, if somebody is in sin, well, you can't say anything about that to somebody else. Well, I, I think there are some cases. Now, certainly we want to be guided by the principles of Scripture going to that individual first and addressing it with them. But there, there are times that we need to talk about the spiritual condition of, of someone else. We need to discuss maybe challenges that we're facing in our relationships with one another uh, in, in an effort to seek out wisdom. It, it's not that there's never an appropriate time to say anything that might be perceived as negative. But I need to check my motives in that. Is this because I'm wanting to vent? Because I'm wanting to, to share 
my knowledge of what's going on? Or is this genuinely, because I think this conversation is going to be helpful to the spiritual well-being of my brethren? Now, I, I may not always be right on that, but that needs to be my goal. Anything that I say to someone uh, within this body or without of this body needs to be motivated to build up, to encourage. I, I like Dave Ramsey's definition of gossip. Uh, he he's, has a no-gossip policy within his company, and what he defined gossip as is when a negative is discussed with anyone who can't help solve the problem. When a negative is discussed with anybody who can't help solve the problem. I, I think that's probably a pretty good definition. If any negative is discussed, it needs to be discussed with somebody who can help the problem, with a genuine desire to build up and to encourage. That's going to take wisdom, but that is our standard. And that's the questions that I need to be asking. But fourthly, maybe the, the most foundational standard of all is, is it loving? Look here at Ephesians 4 once again. Look at verse 31 and following. In verse 31, we read, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Ultimately, the way to eliminate slander and, and evil speaking is to replace it with love. Replace it with the love of God. Replace the old man with the image and likeness of God himself. Here we see in verse five, uh, chapter 5 and verse 2 that we are to be imitators of God as dear children. What, what is our standard? Standard is God himself. As members of his family, born again into this household, we need to reflect the family values. We need to reflect the family character. And so we need, in our words, to reflect the love of God, the love of Jesus. We can ask the, the question, what, would Jesus talk this way about other people? And if not, then I probably shouldn't be talking that way about other people either. And I think there are a few other helpful passages to look at as we consider this idea of, is this reflecting the love of God, love by God's standards? Well, you, you want a definition of love. One thing that we can do is turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Here we see God's definition of love. Going through this passage would be a good litmus test as we consider anything that we are preparing to say. Love is patient. Love is kind, is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What are some questions we can ask ourselves from this passage? Well, we see love is patient, is not provoked, bears all things, endures all things. I can ask myself, am I being long-suffering and long-tempered? Or am I letting my emotions get the best of me and what I'm saying? 
Love is kind, does not act unbecomingly. I can ask the question, am I being considerate and gracious, or am I being hurtful? Love is not jealous, does not brag, it is not arrogant, it does not seek its own. Am I being self-centered, or am I thinking of my brethren first? We're told love does not take into account a wrong suffered. Am I forgiving others the way that God has forgiven me, as Ephesians 5, uh, verse 1 and 2 talked about, or am I holding a grudge and sharing that with someone else? Love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Am I focusing on the negative things about my brethren, or am I focusing on the good qualities, rejoicing in the good things about them? Believes all things, hopes all things. Am I assuming the best in the words that I'm saying, or am I assuming the worst? And so, as we think about whether or not our words are reflecting love, we can think, does this reflect the love of Jesus? When I look at his example, is this the kind of speech that I would see coming out of his mouth? I can look at 1 Corinthians 13 and see, does this meet God's definition of love? And I think one other thing that I can consider is, is this how I would want other people to talk about me? The second greatest command. The first is that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. But the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Treat others as you want to be treated. Here in Galatians 5 verse 14, we see Paul says, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. You think about this illustration of the body. And when we think about the, the body of Christ, the way that we treat one another certainly is the way that we treat Christ, the way that we treat Jesus. But if we're part of one body, really the way that we're treating one another is also the way that we're treating ourselves. We're doing this to our own body. And so we need to make sure that the way that we treat each other, the way that we talk about one another, is the way that we would want people to treat and to talk about us. Because if we're biting and devouring, it's like us biting off our own arm. We're members of one another. We shouldn't be functioning that way towards one another. In Luke chapter 6, in the, the Sermon on the Plain, we, we see this very memorable idea. Treat others the same way you want them to treat you. The, the golden rule. But notice he goes on to elaborate on this in verses 37 and 38. It says, do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. And at the end of verse 38, it says, for by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. If I don't want others to be critical and judgmental towards me, I need to make sure that's not the way that I'm thinking or talking about them. And so, brethren, if it would be gossip for someone else to say it about me, then it's gossip for me to say it about them. It's a pretty, pretty easy standard to consider. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done or how much better I think I am than them and their situation. They're a soul whom Jesus died for, a soul that God loves deeply, a soul that I should love deeply as well. And if they are a member of the Lord's church, then they are part of my own body. I need to treat them 
certainly is such. So I don't know about you, but I feel personally attacked by this sermon. <laughs> and I'm the one giving it. These are hard things to put into practice. Much easier to say than to do. James, when it talks about the tongue in James chapter 3, talks about how it is an unruly evil. What do we need to do about it? We need to get our hands on the reins. We need to get serious about making sure that the things that I'm saying are true, are considerate, are edifying, and are loving. I want to extend two invitations today. One is I want to invite you, if you hear me saying something that you're not sure it's, that we're not sure is true, that's not considerate, edifying, or loving, I want you to point it out to me. Because I know I fall short in this, and I want you to keep me accountable. The second invitation is if you recognize that you in some way are in sin that, that needs to be publicly repented of, that you need to ask for the prayers of these brethren, you need to, have to ask for the forgiveness of these brethren, or maybe you need to do that individually with somebody who you know you've wronged in this area, I want you to invite you to do that. And if you recognize today that you're not a member of the body of Christ to begin with, we want you to know that there is no greater joy in heaven, no greater joy for this group of people than to see lost souls come to the Lord. The reason that Jesus came down to earth was to die so that you could be saved, so that I could be saved, so that we could have a hope of eternity in his presence, so we could be a part of his body, his family, that can live with him for all eternity. Do you have that hope? If you don't, God wants you to have it. And if there's anything that we can do to help you in that, we want to do it. We're about to, to sing a song. Dave, do you have a number for that song? 599. 599. If you want to go ahead and turn your songbooks to number 599, uh, if there is any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord, we ask that you'll let us know at this time. Uh, if, if you don't feel comfortable co coming forward to talk to somebody about that, feel free to talk to somebody on your way out. If there's anything that we can do to help you in your relationship with the Lord, that's why we're here. Uh, that's the work that, that God has given his people to do. So if you are subject to the Lord's invitation, won't you let us know as we sing together? <laughs>